Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Welcome to Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. And today we've got a fun, informative chat with NBC's Matthew Barry, who used to be living the dream in LA. He was getting paid to write TV shows. And he ditched all of that for a career in fantasy sports. And as we talk about in our chat, fantasy sports used to be a super niche thing for the nerdiest of nerds. And then the internet supercharged all that into something that a lot of people do. It's now real business for a lot of media companies, very profitable. I am curious how it's going to coexist with sports betting. We talk about all of that, and we'll get into that in a second. But first, a note. We recorded this conversation right before the NFL season kicked off, which is why we make at least one outdated reference to Aaron Rodgers, who, sorry Jets fans, turns out would not be a good fantasy player this year. Okay, now here's Matthew Barry. It is football season. That means for many people it is also fantasy football season which means it's a good time for us to check in on the business of fantasy sports. That's something that didn't really used to be a business. It was just of interest to a pretty small subset of nerds, and now it's of interest to a pretty large subset of nerds, and that is good news for my guest, Matthew Barry, now at NBC Sports. Welcome, Matthew. Hey, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a... Um... I, I wonder, is it one of those things where the business has gotten bigger, or is it just there's more of us nerds out there? I think they both work in concert, right? Um, it's The reason it's good for you is I think for a lot of people, you are the voice and the face of fantasy sports. You had that role for, what, 15 years at ESPN. You moved over to NBC last year. You've got your own side businesses. Confession, I am not a fantasy sports guy, but I feel in large part through the work you and Bill Simmons have done to sort of push that to the American people. I've absorbed it uh, anyway, so at least I'm somewhat familiar for the folks who are coming into this cold, I can't imagine those to this cold, they have no idea what fantasy sports is. What's the best way to define it? Very simply, it's a game, right? So it's a game where you draft real life NFL players or whatever sport they're playing. And you mm -hmm. can play, if you can find a way to keep score, there's a way to play a fantasy version of it. So we'll start with football because that's by far the most popular. It is a game where you and your friends, coworkers, family, et cetera, you draft real life NFL players and how well those NFL players do for their real-life NFL teams is how well they do for your fantasy team. So if, Peter, you and I were playing each other in fantasy sports, and so let's pretend that I drafted Patrick Mahomes as my quarterback, I'm sure you've heard of, and let's say you drafted Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, you've heard of him, obviously, that in their real-life game, let's say Patrick Mahomes throws three touchdowns for the Chiefs, and Aaron Rodgers throws two touchdowns for the Jets. I am, in essence, beating you three touchdowns to two. And there's points associated with those touchdowns. It's some, some leagues are four and six, and you do that for other positions, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, sometimes kickers and defenses, et cetera. But that's the basic gist of it, is that how well real-life NFL players do statistically in their real-life NFL games, that translates to a scoring system in 
fake football. Yeah. Right. And depending on how you play and who you're playing with, there could be money involved, but it's generally not considered gambling, correct? It is not. It's considered a, it's considered a game of skill, and that's a whole other thing, and that's the argument that DraftKings and FanDuel made. I would agree with that. You know, Peter, you tell me you don't play. I feel pretty good. You know, listen, anything can happen when you're trying to predict the future, but I feel pretty confident in my chances that if you and I played head-to-head in fantasy football, I would beat you. But under the law, it is in essence considered a game of skill and it is um, exerted or, you know, uh, it is not considered illegal. There's a few states have ruled it uh, illegal in terms of paid contests for fantasy sports because there's a a bit of a uh, gray area there in terms of DFS, which is considered daily fantasy sports. But no, season-long fantasy football, that what we're talking about, where you play at ESPN, Yahoo!, CBS, NFL, Sleeper, My Fantasy League, et cetera, et cetera. That is not gambling at all, no. And and the reason we're going to get there, the reason I wanted to lay that out up front is because I'm very interested in sort of how fantasy plays, doesn't play with the, the legal sports betting boom. But just for a sure. little bit more background, I mean, this was a truly nerdy thing that I think started probably with baseball and people were keeping score with pencil and paper. The, the internet really supercharged this. And you just mentioned Yahoo, CBS, that people who ran those sites for years would tell me that fantasy was just this giant giant business for them. How does a media company make sports from make money from fantasy sports since it's not betting? Where does the money come from? Well, a bunch of different ways, right? So first off, there's just kind of the obvious one, which is advertising and sponsorship. It's a tremendous opportunity. Uh, Sponsors absolutely love fantasy because fantasy players, if you look at sort of the demographics, the average fantasy player has a six-figure income, is college-educated, is generally younger than the typical sports fan, is an early adopter, is the avid of the avid. They are they are more brand aware. They are more brand loyal. So uh, they're more tech savvy, et cetera. So there's been tons of studies that have been done. And so it's it's a really sticky audience that people that play fantasy sports. And so it's, you know, the the average football fan watches about three hours of football a week. The average fantasy player watches well over six. So twice as much football. Because you obviously care about how your team, your actual team does. Then you want to see how your fantasy players do. Maybe your opponent's fantasy players. Exactly. Exactly. It gives you a rooting interest in games that you normally would not care about. I'm a Washington Commanders fan. I have been my entire life. I'm excited about the new ownership. But like if there's some bad game on TV, if there's a let's call, you know, the Texans and the and the Cardinals. Well, who's watching that game? Well, I am. Right. Because I've got Damian Pierce, the Texans running back on my team, and I'm playing against you. You've got Marquise Hollywood Brown, the Cardinals star wide receiver on your fantasy team, and we're playing each other. And suddenly I care about how those two players are going to do in their in their fantasy league. And, and not, so, not coincidentally, this is part of the same pitch people make about uh, sports ga- gambling now, right? It's, supposedly you're supposed to be more engaged in that same nonsense, in that same boring game because you now have rooting, rooting interest. You have in a rooting interest. Yeah, that's the that's the underlying appeal of all of this. The difference here in terms of fantasy, there's a couple of big differences between fantasy sports and sports betting, specific to media companies and how they make money off of it. So one of it is the big ways like sponsorship. Like if you go to any of the sites we just mentioned, there's a tons of sponsorship. Like I work for NBC, right? And I do a daily show called Fantasy Football Happy Hour. It's served by Applebee's. And we're and and Bud Light is a sponsor. And I think pretty soon we're going to be announcing a sports betting partner as well. So like we have three different sponsors that are integrated into our show. And then obviously then there's, you know, commercials that we run during during commercial breaks. And that's same for my I have a Sunday morning show on Peacock called Fantasy Football Pregame as well. 
so sponsorship is the is one of the biggest ways. But the other thing, the other way they monetize it is, is that because when playing fantasy, it forces you to interact with whatever media company it is. So whether it's an app or a website, and I'll just use ESPN as an example because I was there for a number of years, right? right? Or I'll, NBC might even be, we don't have a game specifically. So NBC isn't a great apples to apples comparison, but you'll see where I'm going in a second. In terms of something like ESPN, if you played fantasy with ESPN, well, it forces you to open the app or go to ESPN.com a handful of times a week, right? You On Tuesday to pick up guys on waivers at some point during the week to set your lineup. Tuesday morning to see how your scores did as well after the game. And most fantasy players are checking it multiple times a day. What players are available, they're checking out trades, they're reading content, et cetera, et cetera. Well, once you open that app or you go on the website and you're looking at your fantasy team, then ESPN says like, oh, hey, Peter, we noticed, you know, we noticed you have uh, Patrick Mahomes on your fantasy team. Well, here's an article about Travis Kelsey. Sure. And here's what Stephen A. Smith said about the Chiefs on first take. And here's this podcast from Mina Kimes or whoever it is, right? And so you, now you're suddenly down the rabbit hole. And so it forces you to interact with other content. So it's, there's a real halo effect to fantasy sports. And that's the same thing with us over here at NBC is that people will come to rotoworld.com or NBCSports.com. They'll interact with my column or my show or my podcast. And then we'll say, well, have you seen this clip from Mike Florio, Pro Football Talker? Do you see what Chris Sims said about Patrick Mahomes, et cetera, et cetera? And then you're you're sort of down the rabbit hole. Right. So the, so the bulk of it is is sponsorship money attached to page views or whatever uh, engagement metric. I know in the past um, some sites have charged for either access yes. to you know if, if you want us to run this thing for you, you, pay us, or if you want insider info, you can pay for that. Is that a meaningful amount of? And I should back all this up by saying you know when you Google how big is the fantasy sports market, you get crazy cr crazy divergence of the numbers but everyone agrees it's tens of billions of dollars it's a gazillions of dollars yeah um, but it doesn't seem like most of that comes from the consumers themselves it seems like it's mostly ad slash sponsorship driven yeah i think i mean like i think it, it it goes sort of back and forth right it sort of depends on how direct you want to be uh, like i mean so uh speaking back again about espn i don't want to make this whole podcast about my former employer but uh, the one thing i'll say is like so that espn bet deal that was made, right? And so the, you know, the pen is paying, you know, whatever is $1.5 billion. Mm -hmm. And if you read the press release, one of the, one of the big reasons they wanted to is they wanted access to um, ESPN's database of over 11 million fantasy players. I mean, right? And so, I mean, like ESPN obviously is a big brand. And so there's a lot of different things they sold, but I assure you that that, I mean, I, I shouldn't assure you because I didn't see any of this. Uh, this is after I left, but my strong guess would be is that when they were talking with Penn or any of the other potential partners, they said, you know, one of the first thing they said is here's why we want a ton of money is because we've got, we've got over 11 million fantasy players in our database and they are highly prone to bet on sports mm -hmm. when it's legal in their state. Perfect. You made the perfect segue for me. So I've been covering sports betting for several years now as it was getting ready to get legalized. And now it's legalized because it's a very big media story. If you're a regular consumer and maybe you have a passing interest in sports betting, I think one of the things that often comes up is, wait a minute, is sports betting going to become part of the football broadcast? Um, and I think it's really instructive to look at what happened as fantasy got integrated. Maybe you can tell us how fantasy was integrated into to pro sports broadcasts and, and how you think that will or won't show us a path for, for sports betting. I honestly don't think it really has that much. It's it certainly become much more 
of the lexicon and in the mainstream and the zeitgeist and, you know, whatever phrase you want to use. But the truth of the matter is, it's honestly, it's one of the reasons I left ESPN uh, was because, I mean, you know, I've reached a certain level and I can't, I was not able to get to be part of ESPN's NFL coverage, you know, and then, and you I were the fantasy guy. So you're off in the, another tier. Yeah, exactly. And the, just the way they run their company is fantasy was always this kind of, you know, off in the corner sort of thing. It was never, never, I was never part of NFL coverage. Um, and when I would do, it'd be very small one-offs. And I wanted, that was important to me to be part of NFL coverage because I do believe that, as does the NFL, that a massive part of their audience are people that play fantasy sports. And, you know, in states where it's legal, also bet on sports, right? Obviously. So and it makes sense for the NFL or any of the leagues. You know, the NBA has been great about embracing sports betting and fantasy. Um, Adam Silver is really progressive in that area. All the major sports leagues have had well. And because, again, it's the avids of the avids. Those are the people that will watch more games, buy more merchandise. You're more likely to buy League Pass or NFL Sunday ticket. They're more likely to buy jerseys and tickets and, and consume more media around the sport. So it was important to me to be part of an NFL broadcast. And so I, I felt fairly confident after some conversations that if I left ESPN, I would be able to be a part of NFL coverage. And that's what NBC said to me. You know, NBC said, we'll do two things for you that were really important to me. They will they'll, we'll put you on Football Night in America, which is the pregame show to Sunday Night Football. It's the, it's the most watched uh, studio show on television. Enormously powerful real estate. Yeah, second highest rated show. The only thing that's rated higher is the actual Sunday Night Football game. And they're like, we'll also let you do whatever you want with fantasylife.com, which is my startup. And we can talk about that later. But to answer your question, so I am, to the best of my knowledge, I am the first pure fantasy and betting analyst to be part of NFL coverage from one of the league's partners. If you watch some other pregame shows, sometimes they'll have an ex-athlete. Yeah. Hey, here's our fill in the sponsor, you know, DraftKings pick of the day or whatever. And here's an ex-player that's going to make a pick you know, or something like that. And that's with every sport, right? Whether, you know, pick your sports betting partner of choice. But I believe I'm the first one to be like, no, I'm not an ex-athlete who's just sort of been handed a script or a stat or two. Like, this is what I do for a living. This is my lane. And it's, it's not integrated into the, the game call itself. No one's ever going to say, oh, that's going to be really valuable for whoever has Aaron Rodgers on their team. The only thing that I can see in the- Every once in a yeah. while, you'll see a, I mean, this happens, uh, every once in a while, you'll see on a broadcast, and Mike Tirico does a great job of this, but, you know, a lot of the broadcasts will say like, oh, that's a, you know, I'm sure his fantasy managers are very happy with that play or like, ah, oh, you know, sometimes you'll see it on, uh, you'll see over over highlights, you know, you know, and he scores a touchdown, you know, for the Chiefs and my fantasy team or whatever it is. But so you'll get brief mentions it. But in terms of like fully integrated into game broadcast that hasn't happened yet, the closest thing is the ticker is that you'll see sometimes you'll see a ticker on games that has fantasy stats. And certainly in the preseason, you'll see like fantasy sleepers and that kind of stuff. So the ticker is the closest we've right, gotten. That, that, yeah, but, I was thinking about that because it, it took me several years, honestly, to understand what the ticker's purpose was. Because if you know, if you if you're not paying attention, it just says leading rushers, and you go, okay, that's yep. why do I care? And the truth is, if you're not in fantasy sports, you don't care how many people scored touchdowns that day beyond the game you're watching. But that's what it's there for. It's a way of bringing fantasy sports onto the screen without stopping and saying this is for fantasy sports. Do you see similar versions of that happening with sports betting? I do. I think eventually, look, the NFL has been, uh, you know, purposely cautious about entering into this uh, into this space. They were 
kind of the last of the major American sports to sort of embrace it. So, uh, you know, they're getting there, but every year it's a, they're a little bit more comfortable. And so my expectation is, is that as America uh, becomes more comfortable with sports betting and it becomes more a part of everyday culture as more states become legal, the expectation here is, is that the broadcast, the game broadcasts will reflect that. I mean, again, like three years ago, I think the idea that I would be doing a sports betting segment on an NFL pregame show, you know, I don't know when, when this is going to air, but you and I are taping this on a, on a... Before kickoff on the 5th, yeah. So on the night of the 7th, I'm going to be on the sidelines at Arrowhead Stadium for the Lions and Chiefs kickoff. I will be giving sports betting advice. I, I will have a bet that I suggest for that evening's game. And I think three years ago, it would be unimaginable to think anyone would do that, let alone someone who is just literally like, this is my job. I'm the fantasy guy and the sports betting guy. And here I am on the sidelines at an NFL stadium before the first game of the season telling you, like, here's a bet I like tonight. Matthew Barry, tip of the fantasy and gambling sports spear. One last betting question. I always in the back of my head, and I didn't really think a lot about uh, fantasy, thought, oh, part of this is a substitute for sports betting. People couldn't legally sports bet unless they were in, you know, a couple states. Some people, obviously, people were doing it online illegally. But I kind of thought this is a way for people to itch a sports betting Jones. Now that sports betting is legal, not across the U.S., but in many markets, do you see that cutting in to the fantasy sports market or do the two of them grow each other? How does that work? I think they grow each other. I, you know, I, I've been asked this question before and my response is always like that question, you know, basically supposes that no one ever bet on sports yeah, before yeah. it became legal. It's a billion dollar industry and has been for years and years and years. It was just always unregulated. The fact is, is that the value proposition to a person uh, that bets on sports is different than the value proposition to somebody that plays fantasy sports, right? For sports betting, it's a singular action like, hey, I like what I'm just, I keep talking about the Chiefs because that's the opening night game, but right, like, and Mahomes is the most famous guy, but like, man, I like the Chiefs. I think Mahomes kills them. So how do I place a bet on the Chiefs killing them or, you know, a Patrick Mahomes to throw three touchdowns? Like, that's a singular thing. I want to win money. I have a strong opinion about this game, how this game will play out, and I'm going to put money on it with the attempt to win more money. But with fantasy, that's much more social. And yes, sometimes people play for leagues and everyone will put in whatever, 20, 50, 100 bucks and there's a pot at the end of the at end of the, the year. But really that's about, hey, my friends, my family, my coworkers, whatever, we're all going to go to a bar or a restaurant or, or somebody's place. Sometimes you go to a, a destination, a Miami, Vegas, Nashville, what have you. We're all going to draft. We're going to talk crap to each other. We're going to have fun. We're going to drink, you know, really enjoy ourselves, have a whole weekend. And then throughout the season, we'll be texting or emailing, talking trash to each other, going back and forth. It's a much more social experience. It's much more about interacting and keeping track with uh, all of your your friends, families, colleagues than it is necessarily, I'm doing this to make money, that this is a way to make money. And I still think sports betting is more entertainment than not. Hey, I'm going to put 20 bucks in this game and I'm going to hope I win 40 or 50. Do not try to make a living at sports betting. It is entertainment. Um, it's very hard to make a living at uh, at sports betting. Um, and it is something you have to dedicate a lot of time to. But that's why I think they they sort of, it floats, you know, it, it uh, rising tide uh -huh. floats all boats here because it normalizes all of it. We'll be right back after a word from a sponsor. 
Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. And we're back. So you mentioned you're going to be the, the, the first fantasy slash sports betting guy on, on primetime TV. This was not a career you imagined. In fact, you had a career that a lot of people start. You had the career that a lot of people did imagine they wanted. You were a Hollywood. You were a working Hollywood writer. Tell me about how you got into Hollywood and how you got out and into fantasy sports. So I always wanted to be a writer. I went to Syracuse University and I studied TV writing there and moved out to Hollywood with a buddy of mine. Uh, to be, pursue a write a job writing for sitcoms and and movies, and so you know I was a production assistant for two years, kept churning out scripts. Eventually, got a got a chance to write on a uh, so the, the traditional route, thing. sort of start at the below the bottom and try to elbow your way into something. Yeah, got lunches, answered phones, ran errands, tried to network. I ended up getting a job as George Carlin's assistant. Believe it or not, it's really cool. I've had this really weird magical career path. So George Carlin was doing a sitcom for Warner Brothers back in the day called The George Carlin Show, which ran for two years on Fox. And I got a job as the, technically the stage PA for The George Carlin Show. In essence, so I was the production assistant for all the actors on the stage, but it's The George Carlin Show starring George Carlin. So in essence, I became George's assistant. And the, you know, my bosses were like, you know, listen, whatever George needs, George gets. And then if you have any time left, deal with the rest of the cast. So I, I worked with George for a year wonderful experience. And Warner Brothers used to have a program called the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop. I don't know if they still do that. But the idea was to help, you know, young writers get into the business. And George Carlin wrote me after the year, read a script of mine and wrote me a recommendation letter to get into the workshop. My writing partner and I, we went through that workshop and we ended up, I think there were like 800 people that applied to it. 50 got interviewed out of the 50, 20 got into the workshop and out of the 24 got jobs. And my writing partner and I were one of the four. We got uh, to write for a short-lived sitcom called Kirk, starring former teen heartthrob Kirk Ah. Cameron on a network that no longer exists, the WB. Uh But we did that, and uh, but then we were off to the races. And uh, I really enjoyed the fact that we wrote for, the first year we wrote for Kirk, which was considered the most wholesome show on television. And the very next year we went to the show that was considered the worst show on television, Married with Children. And the most popular so, incredibly, uh, yeah, so incredibly we, so we wrote for Married with Children and I wrote for a, a number of years on, uh, on sitcoms and then, uh, and I also wrote movies. I wrote movies that did not get produced, but I wrote, you know, I wrote a movie for The Rock. I wrote a movie for Hillary Again, Swank. Again, the odds of you pulling that off are very, very low because everyone goes to Hollywood yep. to act or write and almost no one gets any work at all. You know, everyone knows the odds there. And then for you to get any work, let alone recurring work is a really big deal. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I was a working screenwriter and, you know, the fact that the, I, I, I worked with a lot of very popular uh, stars on a lot of bad television and, you know, and it's one of those things that's why don't you get, you know, people like back in the day when I was a writer was, you know, the big shows were like Friends and Frasier and I'd have people who didn't understand the industry say like, well, why aren't you writing for Frasier? Why don't you write for Friends? I'm like, because they have six, because like, that's like asking a basketball player, like, why don't you go play for the Lakers? Like there's, there's seven spots, you know what I mean? Like, you know, some of the most talented writers I've ever worked with in my life worked on shows that just 
weren't good because they were created poorly or the network or studio just noted it to death or the wrong person got cast. There's a million reasons why a show or movie works or doesn't work. And often the writing is not the reason. But anyway, so to answer your question in terms of how I make that transition. So yeah, I was a working writer. I was, I was never an A-list writer, but I was probably like a B, B plus writer. I worked with, you know, big, like I said, I, I did a project for The Rock. I did a project for Hilary Swank. I did a project for uh, Tim Allen back when he was making Disney movies and was a, you know, uh, a leading man for family uh, movies for Disney. And my writing partner and I worked quite a bit, but ultimately what I was doing was I spending all my time doing fantasy sports. I've played since I was 14 years old. In 1999, there was a website called rotoworld.com, which I just now owned by NBC Sports. This is prior to them selling to NBC Sports. And they were advertising for writers. And so, Peter, I, I wrote them an email and I said, listen, I'm a professional writer living out here in Hollywood, but I'm in like 20 leagues. I'm obsessed with fantasy sports. It's my I'd passion. like to slum with you. Yeah. Can I, I just said, not even, I just said, I think it'd be so much fun to write a column for you guys on the side. Just, you know, because this is my passion. Can I send you a sample tryout? And they wrote me back the next day and said, we looked you up on IMDb. Married with Children is our favorite show of all time. You're hired. So because I wrote Mean Wife Jokes for Al Bundy, I got to write for free for a low-trafficked internet website in 1999. I did that up until about 2004. And at that time, the internet bubble had burst. People were starting to make money on the internet. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I could start a blog. I was pretty popular. Yeah, I felt like... Um, and uh, I developed a following and I thought, well, maybe I could start a blog and make a couple of bucks on the side. So I went and did that. Uh, I left Roto World to start my own website. And this was before I had no concept at the time of like venture capital or raising money, investment, anything like that. So I, I scraped together 10,000 bucks of my own money to build a website. This is also pre like Wix.com or, you know, like where you can just get a, a website off the shelf. Like you had to buy, you know, hire a programmer to build a website with a content management system, the whole thing, um, 2004. And so I did that. And so I basically realized I, I had no money for advertising marketing. So the only person that could advertise it was me. So I went to every registration, radio station, website, and TV station I could find saying, I will come on your air for free. I will write for you but for free. But are you still Just doing this as a website. side hustle while you're writing professionally? Yeah. yeah. So what, what is the impulse I, then it, to go bust your ass to build up this, what's basically a nonprofit, uh, probably money losing venture for you at this point? Was it, I want to build something it was a, eventually? It was entirely yeah, no, it was, I never, like, people are like, oh, do you have your dream job? And I'm like, no, when I was dreaming of jobs, it didn't occur to me that I could make a living talking about fake football on the mm -hmm. internet. Like it didn't occur to me that that was a, a career path that I could, that I could choose. And it was all passion for me. And basically I was also, I really did not enjoy my time in Hollywood. Like, you know, there were certain creative aspects that I liked, but I really didn't love the, you know, um, the Hollywood part of uh, it. It was, it was a lot of that. There's just a lot of BS and it just, it took a lot a lot of things that went into making a project and very little of it was about the quality of the project and the quality of your work. Let me put it this way. The only movie script I ever wrote that got made is Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. So I wrote the third sequel to Crocodile Dundee. It's by far the worst movie I've ever written. And that's the only one that got made. You know, and listen, God bless, like, you know, I decided to write it when they correctly answered the question, wait, they want to pay me how much? You know, if you're going to sell out, sell out big. Um, and so God, it bought me my first house in LA, but it was a miserable experience. And so anyway, the, to answer your question, Peter, I was just so passionate about 
this website, you know, I, I was being paid lots of money to write movie scripts. And yet when I woke up in the morning and went to bed at night, all I was thinking about was this website that had a couple of thousand kids on it at the time. So I, in essence, went to all these places where I was promoting the website and by de facto became a personality and got comfortable speaking in front of a microphone and got decent. One of the first places I looked was ESPN to promote it. I started in uh, radio in LA, ESPN Radio LA and 710, uh, the Mason and Ireland show. They're still there. They're legends. They put me on and then, you know, I started doing more and more stuff with ESPN Radio locally in LA, which led to me doing stuff on first uh, Cold Pizza, which was the precursor to First Take. Cold Pizza, which led to the magazine. Did ESPN, ESPN have News a dedicated fantasy sports section or person back then, or did you become the first? They, they, they certainly had people that worked for the worked for the company, and you could play fantasy sports on ESPN at the time. Certainly, yeah, there were there were um, there were guys there. Um, Tristan, shout out to uh, Tristan Cockroft and Eric Carabell, who are both still there. Um, they were there at the time, but I don't know that they had anyone that they. They, they came to me, I don't want to speak for them, but I'll just tell you the conversation they had with me, which is they came to me in 2007 and I'd been doing all this work for them. I mean, they did have a fantasy football section. You could play fantasy football on ESPN in 2007. This is when this conversation happened. But they were third. Yahoo was the dominant player in the space, then CBS, and ESPN was a very distant third, and they weren't used to being third. They were dominant everywhere else, but they, weren't, they were third place in fantasy and they didn't understand why. And so they came to me and they said, we're impressed with the business you've built. We're also impressed with you as a talent. What we would like to do is we've been talking internally about trying to find a Mel Kuyper for fantasy football. And uh, what we would like to do is uh, buy your website, move you to Connecticut and make you the guy. And, you know, we, we would like to, you know, have you be a part of our strategy in terms of how to attack this. It was weird for a talent at the time, but I got invited into business strategy. How long meetings. was the, how long did I, you, you know, think I'm like, leave Hollywood, which I don't love, but I am professionally successful to move to Connecticut. And ESPN is a big deal company in 2007, but still, and try this thing that is totally sort of unproven. It was perfect timing for me for a few reasons. Number one was, um, so uh, my ex-wife and I got divorced in 2005. So this is like early 2007. And so part it was partially like, hey, here's a fresh start kind of thing. For me, it was also what made me happy at, happiest. The truth of the matter is I'd been in, not to get too deep here, but I've written about this. You know, I wrote a book called Fantasy Life, and I've talked about this in that book where um, I was depressed. I went to therapy and I'm like, I don't understand why I'm depressed because I, in theory, I have this exciting Hollywood job and I'm, you know, I'm happily married and I'm healthy and I've got friends and family and I should, on paper, I should be thrilled and I'm not. Why is that? And it's a lot of reasons why it, clinical depression runs in my family. I, I, I discovered my wife and I, uh, nothing bad to say about my ex-wife. There was no drama there. We just, we got married very young and we just sort of grown apart. And then I just realized that I just really didn't enjoy being in Hollywood, that I just didn't enjoy, again, like, I didn't enjoy the fact that all the movie scripts that I really loved and was proud of were sitting on some shelf collecting dust, but Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles gets made. And the only thing that made me happy was this dumb website. So I basically, Peter, for me, it was all about chasing happiness, literally just chasing happiness. And I didn't think I was ever going to make a lot of money doing fantasy football. It's just, this is like a nonprofit. But I remember saying to my writing partner, I said, let's do one last script, bank the money, this is in 2005, I went to him. I said, let's do one last movie script, bank the money because I'm getting out. 
and I'll probably make $10,000 a year running this blog for, you know, a couple thousand kids and I'll figure out the rest, but whatever, because I just want to chase happiness because this is the only thing that makes me happy. And so I did that and, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of random how life works out, right? But I had to leave Hollywood to get on TV. I had to leave Hollywood to win an Emmy, um, you know, and so by chasing happiness, by literally, I would love to tell you I had this brilliant business plan, but the truth is it was merely just following my heart and my instincts. And as a result, I've had so much more success financially, personally, growth-wise, you know, doing fake football than I ever Hooray did in Hollywood. For fake sports. Uh, it's a great story. Before I let you go, I just yeah. want to ask you briefly, uh, you mentioned fantasylife.com. Did I get the name right? That's the name of your site. Yes, you said when you left ESPN last year, that the main reason you left is they didn't want you running your own sites. You wanted to run your own sites. NBC is letting you do that. My question for, for fantasylife.com and really all, all the content that you made over the years is how do you create stuff for fantasy fans that earns their loyalty? Because again, from the outside, they're all looking at the same sets of data, right? Everyone gets public record what a player did last year and the year before and last week. And then after that, everyone might tell you they have a secret formula for picking next week's game, but they're all kind of guessing, I'm guessing. So what are what what makes a successful fantasy site if everyone has the same commodity information? So uh, I'll answer that two ways. So I'll answer that specifically to myself, which is that I think for me, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And so I've developed a nice fan base of people that trust me. They want your picks or they want your voice? I think both. I think both, obviously. Like, I think they enjoy my voice, but if my picks are screwing them over, like they're not coming back, right? I mean, like, you know, but like you find like, hey, this is a mechanic that I trust with my car and here's a doctor that I really like. And here's, you know, here's the laundromat I go to because they never screw up my clothes, whatever. Like, you know, on some level, I'm a service provider, right? And so, hey, I go to Barry, I read him, I listen to his podcast, whatever. And you know what? A lot more often than not, he's right, you know, and he's helped my teams over the years. So I think that's partially, but a lot of my writing is also very personal. People know about me. They know my, I've, everything that I've just talked about in this podcast is all very public. I've written about my divorce. I've written about my wife, my, my now, you know, I've been married 15 years. My wife, my kids, you know, I had a health scare a couple of years ago. I talked about that. Like I, I talk about everything. And um, so people, I think, feel like they know me. So that's a differentiator for me. In terms of the business of, of Fantasy Life, we have, um, we have really good, in addition to myself, we have really good content creators. So, I mean, you know, that, are, that have found some secret sauce, right? That, that do things that look, we have a guy named Dwayne McFarlane who does what is, what's called a utilization report, who looks at things like, for example, the fact that Luke Musgrave, who's a rookie tight end for the Packers, who I like a lot as a late round sleeper. Luke Musgrave has a 67% route participation in the preseason with the first team starters. And you're like, wait, what? You know what I mean? We're translating that as he seems to be a very good promising player the Packers also like. Correct as well. That, that, that they've got this rookie tight end that's playing at levels that we've normally just seen starting tight ends that are superstars in the league. You know, by route participation, it just means in terms of how often when they have their players run routes on a passing play, how often is Luke Musgrave out there? And the answer is two-thirds of the time in the preseason with the first-team offense. So, right, so we do feel like uh, on FantasyLife.com, we also have a, um, so for us, it's, it's two things. It's number one, it's utility and it's ease. Uh, and the price is right, right? So it's all free. FantasyLife.com is free. Fantasy Life newsletter is free. We have a bunch of tools. We have a start-sit tool. We have a rate-my-trade tool. We have a, you know, we have prop betting tools. 
we have a league punishment generator. If you're trying to like, you know, come up with a punishment for last place in your league. So we have a number of tools that are all free. And we also send you a, uh, a free email every single day that is a newsletter that lets you er know everything you need to know about fantasy sports. And it's written by smart people that all are established in the industry, that all have followings and long track records, promoting quality advice for big companies. And they've come to uh, start it with me. In essence, I'm, I'm sure, Peter, you're familiar with Morning Brew. I am. So it's the, the best way to describe it as a company is it's Morning Brew, but for fantasy sports and, I saw and sports Austin betting. Reith, our co-founder, is, is working with you guys as well. So that's a direct connection there. I mean, I have to give a shout out to Austin. Austin's a friend and we were, I, had, I actually had a merch store. I think you'll find this semi-interesting. I had a merch store at fantasylife.com. Like I wrote this book, Fantasy Life. It was a New York Times bestseller, spent many months on the list, did really well for me. I thought based on the success of the book, I could start a couple of companies off of that brand, try to expand that brand. And one of the things I did was I tried to start a merch store. And so we're sending emails to, we, we would send these content-based emails to people that bought merch, just trying to get them to buy more merch. And so I know nothing about email marketing or anything like that. And so Austin and I are having lunch and I say to Austin, I'm like, hey man, you're, you're the email guy. Like, I, you know, you've had such success with Morning Brew. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you look at these numbers? Tell me, you know, give me some hints or anything like that. Give me some advice. And he looks at everything and he goes, yeah, here's my advice. Screw your merch store. This is your business. Your newsletter is your business. He goes, you're doing about 8 billion things wrong. But your numbers, even, even with that, and one hand basically tied behind your back, you're still doing better numbers in your first year than we were doing in year mm -hmm. three of Morning Brew. Because you are on to something here, do this. And so uh, Austin's on our advisory board and has been a great friend to the company. But yeah, so we, I did that. And so on March 1st, 2022, I hired a guy named Elliot Christ as my CEO. He was the COO of another successful uh, fantasy sports company, really good. Hired him and then uh, we decided to bootstrap the whole thing. April 1st, 2023, we hired employee number 12. We're now up to 14. Uh, we did seven figures in revenue in our first year. Uh, we were profitable. Um, and then we just finished our, uh, we just finished a friends and family strategic round of fundraising. Well. And the challenge for you will be, is this going to be the Matthew Berry site powered by Matthew Berry and everything else is very secondary or can it be a standalone thing that doesn't depend on you? And you are going to come back and tell us about that in a couple of years when you figure it out. Yeah. Well, at the moment, that's the idea of all the, like the guys like Dwayne and Peter and Ian, the idea is to have it be a standalone company that is not dependent on me. And we're getting there. We're getting there. We're pretty excited about it. Matthew Berry, excellent to meet you. Excellent to talk with you. I've been listening to your voice for a long time. Uh, good luck. And uh, thanks for flying the uh, Jimmy Buffett flag during the course of this interview. Um, we'll be listening and watching. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. My pleasure. I've read you for years and so uh, honored to be on the show. Thanks to our sponsors for bringing the show to you for free. That's zero dollars. Still the same. Thanks to Travis and Jelani for editing the show, producing the show, and thanks to you guys for listening. We'll see you next week.